1: john teeter
0: i am john teeter whitetail landscapes this is maximize your hunt welcome back hopefully everybody's doing well uh, those of you that have already started hunting season congratulations enjoy it this is the time for fun i am at the point right now in my i guess my search for deer i pulled trail cameras today and i think i pulled about 10 cameras over the past two days, I've pulled about maybe a total of 15 cameras, and I'm kind of going through the data and, and sorting through, you know, what, what's moving through my property, what's the cycle of movement, you know, where, what time and place of everything. I'm just focusing on time and place right now, and that's a big strategy for me. And today, we're going to talk more about hunting strategy and the importance of that going into the season uh, Steve Shirk's going to be is back on, and you know he's got you know a lot of information you know on how to kill a deer early season or how to look at data early season, and his scouting approach might be a little bit unique to most. So we're going to kind of dive into his process. Hey Steve, are you on the line?
1: Yep, I'm right here. All right,
0: man. How you been? What's what's going on?
1: Oh, I've been doing well. Uh, our season comes in a week from this Saturday, so. Just trying to tie up a lot of loose ends in a lot of different areas of life. That way I can, uh, you know, focus on hunting like a lot of us have, are, you know, dying to do. So just an exciting time of year to say the least.
0: Yeah, temperatures have been dropping here. I think we had a low of, uh, I think um, I think it was like the low 50s. Um, we're, yeah. we're starting to get low 40s. You know, it's starting to get cold in upstate New York. I, th- I think you're probably experiencing some similar weather in, in your area.
1: Yep, exactly. Today's actually the coldest day we've had geez, probably since like May or early June. It's, we actually are in the 50s today, so uh, the only unfortunate thing is it looks like it's going to warm back up for our season opener uh, on October 2nd, but just nice to feel that cool fall air. I've It was a good, nice, warm summer, but there's nothing like that. You know, the, the cool air in the fall, the leaves changing and falling, it's just definitely as far as, you know... I'll, a hunting type uh, feeling or you know the atmosphere towards hunting. It's definitely starting to seem that way. yeah,
0: I felt the same way yesterday, and it was kind of that you know that dry air uh, you know low dew point. That's kind of where you know i'm 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 feeling I'm feeling fall, right? And then, yep. you know, the other thing for me, like at least at this point in time is i'm I'm way behind, you know i, I i've got I've got a client, I think on the second of October. And I'm, I'm behind, like I'm struggling right Mm -hmm. now to get, you know, data, intel, my spot set up. Like I'm usually done a month beforehand. I just, (laughs) I've been too busy. So yeah, have you you had any similar issues or you've been, you've been able to get out in the field quite a bit, I'm sure.
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, it may seem like sometimes a lot of the focus is towards myself, but literally yesterday i finally got my hunting license <laughs> um finally got you know some broadheads and some some more of my gear together so i haven't really thought about myself at all um and and really the the best time for myself in hunting is the early to mid october because i don't start guiding till late october so um it's like it's like holy cow steve you know maybe you should start preparing a little bit better and looking at your options and coming up with a game plan because, uh, it's literally a little over a week away. So that's kind of, as far as how you're feeling, I am actually feeling the same way, even though I feel like I've done really well scouting, but I really haven't even until honestly, until like this past week, I haven't even thought of like what deer maybe I'm going to pursue or just been so focused on, you know, you know, planning for the guiding season.
0: And I've said this before, so that early season time period and early season for me is October 1st. And I would say October 1st about the 16th. That's early season for me. Yep, I'm trying to get it done in those those first 16 days of the season. And, and that's that's you know, pertinent to a particular deer. The deer that yep. I, I think that I can kill this year, and I got two pictures of him right now. I don't have any recent pictures, but I've had pictures of him over the past month he's a four year old he I think he'll his demise will come about a little bit later after that so I, my plan is to be done i sound this I hope this has not come across as arrogant please listeners don't think so. I plan <laughs> to be done by the twenty seventh and and that'll give me some time to kind of relax. You know another interesting thing on my property, and this, this really this is a staple of building a good hunting property. So I I want to add to to you know where I'm at. So my own property, which is ex- approximately 48 acres, I had four uh, four fawns fawning on my property this year. They all made it through the season. Great. There's a ton of coyote pressure. You know there's there's predation. It's it's all apparent, right? But this year is a staple year for me. I'm starting to build high levels of interest from larger doe groups. And it's not yep. necessarily, you know, there's, there's a food-related component of this, and it's how I disperse the food. But the cover component, that summer component of cover, uh, the volume of cover, the type of cover that is, has allowed me to kind of create better fawning habitat, which will eventually lead to excellent rut, uh, rut conditions because a lot of times you'll see a lot of these doe groups spend more time in those bedding areas because of the volume and type of cover that's in there and the related Mm -hmm. food sources that I've been placed in the center of those. So I I just want to kind of give a little design uh, thing there, but I, I, I think the quality of hunting for me, you know, quality of bucks is going to be, through the roof right now. So not having a lot of target deer is okay, knowing that I'm probably going to get more mobile deer. And that that's a transition in how I'm kind of developing portions of the property. Again, it's only 48 acres, but uh, you nope. know I'm, I'm going on about me. But I did l- watch some stuff about you recently, and, and I watched um, a podcast that you had done. And it was really interesting because you started talking about all the statistical information you've had over the past few years. You've compiled it, and you've kind of you know, developed, I guess, a cadence and understanding of what deer like to do and uh, the best days to hunt. And it's funny because there may be only a handful of those good days on an annual basis. And I kind of want you to talk a little bit about maybe the study you did and the data and maybe some of your conclusions that you had, if you don't mind.
1: Yep. So basically I've been doing it for about the past five years and uh, I've, you know, some years I keep track of more things than others, but it's really all boiled down to, you know, since I guess, so I think this year is going to be the sixth year I'm going to be doing it. But kind of getting to the point is, from what I have found, uh, it might just is all based off of, uh, you know, the results from my studies. I, I believe that uh, temperature is the ultimate factor in towards deer movement. I mean, there's many other things that have an effect as far as moon, wind, you know, dew point, you know, tons of different other factors, but the biggest factor I see has been temperature. So that's really what I've mostly focused on in the past two years is, you know, as I started doing this, I started to notice how, you know, how big that temperature, you know, was having an effect. So um, what, you know, what I'm noticing is uh, these, the, really the colder temps that we get, you know, whether it's October. Um, up to usually about mid-November, it's it's it, what that's really what I'm seeing. are those, especially those cold fronts that we get. It's just amazing, um, you know, what I'm seeing on on my you know 150 trail cam study.
0: Yeah, and it seems it seems ripe for that because if I guess any any of my clients are listening to this, there's a, there's a criteria of how I evaluate you know evaluate how to go after a deer, and temperature is the first thing period yep Um, and it's that deviation so that change in standard temperature and it's relative it's looking at you know the relativeness of that either uh, over a three or five day period and you know that that relative i don't know what increment you're looking at but that's pretty much how i kind of base a lot of my hunting decisions around and i'm usually hunting post fronts Uh, that tends to be more productive at least early season now late season is completely opposite i find um uh, fronts before storms uh, to be mm-hmm. more productive. Now that's not to say a you know a post front is is not a productive you know time to hunt. It depends you know where you're hunting the food sources all of those type of things. But it kind of flip flops a little bit uh, at late season. At least that's been my experience in the areas that I hunt in the way that they're set up. What what other details are you looking at? You know when you come to concluding like you've got 150 cameras. You've been looking at this data you know over five years you know, what are the other conclusions that you found, uh, that, that have been kind of, I don't know, entertaining or or intriguing?
1: Sure. Um, what, what's most intriguing is how, uh, how temperature has slightly different effects, uh, you know, through the different parts of hunting season. I only do the study from roughly October 1st to December 10th, and that's all based on Pennsylvania deer seasons. Um, I, I'm looking through archery, the whole archery season and through the entire gun season and just trying to learn deer movement, you know, what's the best times and, and possibly even certain days of the year. But, you know, what I, what I've found is, uh, you know, like the, the early part of archery season per se, you know, a cold front is, is, is really good. Say, you know, the first two weeks, of October, but then a cold front is even better. You, you see a greater increase of activity um, anywhere from late October to mid-November. But then for us, actually, once we get later into November, cold weather actually has an opposite effect. Um, we find that uh, because it's big woods and, and a lot of these areas don't have maybe the greatest quality of habitat or nutrition because... I mean, remember, it's we're not We're not talking private land, or we're not managing this land at all. So, I think the lack of nutrition uh, kind of slows our deer down. And like, for instance, we get a cold front, say around Thanksgiving, it actually seems to slow our deer down, versus like you would probably see an increase in activity in the late season in most places with with good you know, quality, uh, food sources and habitat. But I think the lack of food and, uh, the deer being so burned out after the rut that they, uh, that cold weather actually has an opposite effect on them. But I just think that, you know, the most interesting thing for me is how there's different levels of activity, uh, related to the weather throughout the entire hunting season
0: yeah that's interesting and and i think everyone's going to have a different take on this because Mm -hmm. you know you're you're dealing with other factors later in the season hunting pressure being a big part of that exactly Um, and and, and in new york specifically and in other states for that matter pennsylvania you know other states the volume of pressure uh, will, will certainly change the flow and frequency of deer across the landscape without question after the second day of gun season at least in new york traditionally it's been really difficult areas that are not managed and when i say managed managed for full spectrum we're talking habitat food sources you name it they mm-hmm. have the full plethora with limited hunting those movements slow even on those properties i have clients that wow. have large properties and you start you start to see that degrading movement and then it becomes much more predictable in the sense depending on the food sources that you have allocated along the landscape and, it, you know, it's just, it's all time and place, but it's also based on your circumstances. And I think everyone's circumstances are somewhat unique. We, we, we were talking, I was talking to a client a couple of days ago about just deer dispersion. And we were trying to figure out, you know, uh, on, on his property, you know, the cadence of movement, you know, across the landscape and why deer are selecting certain areas at certain times. And I'm, I'm trying to break down, you know, habitat types for him over time like seasonal changes and in interests so what you can do is you can really start to look at like these factors that play into their preferences and you know this is steve this is where you excel at you're taking the fine this is your woodsman skills you're taking the fine eye and looking at the landscape and saying okay why are these deer preferring you know this particular area at this particular time and mm-hmm. even even like you were saying earlier they're making small incremental movements well, why are they making those movements, right? They they still have feeding cycles. They still have to keep their body, you know, basically uh, you know, replenished. But you know, w- what areas are they selecting based on that? That circumstance may be very, very pertinent to a hunting decision that you may have. So, uh, I yep. just just want to add add to that. Sure. So let's uh, let's kind of go into your process. You know, for you, early season here is on, on the horizon. You know what are you doing right now at this time to start to make some of those decisions to either you know go after deer maybe you're just scouting you know what 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 are the things you're doing right right at this moment?
1: yeah, as far as the early season goes um i have the only success i, I really have in the in these big woods and the public land scenario is I have to focus entirely on betting to really have the chance i mean. We, we haven't even, we haven't had a good, you know, acorn crop here in the past couple of years anyway. So if I, even if I did want to focus on food, um, there's really not any type of, uh, other than maybe like, you know, some good clear cut brows or some high stem count areas. Um, other than that, uh, I really don't even have a, like a, a feed pattern per se. So, uh, but that's really okay with me because I've, I've always been more of a, a bedroom type hunter. But it, it just seems like the early season, you know, roughly those first two weeks of October here in PA, if you don't know where a buck is bedding um, and you're not close to that or even in that bedroom, where you have almost zero chance here of killing a deer, unless you get a cold front. You get a cold front, that buck becomes a completely different animal. Um, so most of my focus this time of year is uh, kind of glancing by some of these bedding areas, checking cameras. I'm really trying to, to see, uh, especially because a lot of my cameras are in clusters, really just trying to notice uh, any type of pattern of movement. You might be able to find where a certain buck is using one portion of the bedding area more than others. A lot of my cameras are on scrapes out just outside of bedding. But basically, like I said, right now I'm just looking for uh, some kind of pattern, some kind of consistent movement near bedding and kind of going from there.
0: I know there's a specific deer that you have some interest in. I don't know what type of details mm-hmm. we want to get into to explain that deer's location. But do you know, for some of the deer that you're looking at, where well, you're looking at a slew of different bucks, whether it's 30 or 40 different bucks, do you, do you have like specific habitat preferences that you're seeing right now that you're going to key in on? When you're saying bedding areas, you're talking yeah. you know, specific uh, either points in elevation or locations that are flat or whatever the case may be. Can you give a descriptor of what those might look like right now?
1: Yep. Um, I'm hunting, you know, mountain terrain. So uh, all of my bucks, literally all my bucks are bedded towards the top of the ridges or the mountains. Um, I, I've been a big clear-cut hunter uh, over, over the years and, you know, had a lot of success doing that. But the problem is, is because, once again, it's public land clear cuts are getting so easy to find, you know, on Onyx and, you know, all these different, you know, online maps and the apps that you can get that I'm just running into way too much hunting pressure around clear cuts. Uh, because they are still, it's not like there's 200 clear cuts and in the hundred thousand acres that I'm hunting, there might be, you know, 30, 40 good clear cuts in, you know, throughout that section. And there's quite a few hunters here too. So you know, I'm, I'm starting to shy away personally from hunting clear cuts. And I'm just basically finding stuff that you got to put boots on the ground to, to find Uh, a lot of these bucks are still bedded in thick cover, but those high stem count areas with, with a lot of food and browse in it, like people, a lot of people don't understand that a, a bedded buck, especially early season, he's not laying in a particular bed, like eight, 10 hours a day. He's He's got several beds inside of his bedding area and he's feeding throughout the day just as much as he's bedded um, because he's putting on those, those last reserves that he can get in his body for, you know, for the rut in the winter. So it's really a a real peak time as far as it comes to, you know, that, that buck uh, preparing his body and, you know, getting ready for the rut. I don't think there's any more important time of year uh, for food and that type of scenario, you know that a buck uh, has to go through them right now. So um, making sure that you got a good food source in some of these areas, um, thick cover, like I said, high elevations. That's that's kind of the stuff that I'm focusing on.
0: Steve. So one one thing I would say, at least in the areas that I'm very familiar with, where where I'm concentrating my interest is where you have that mix of um, briars and. Yep. You know, adjacent to that, you may have, you know, small openings. Uh, When I say openings, I mean, you know, smaller openings that are recent openings. And then maybe adjacent to that, you have a high canopy area. Um, That interspersion of variation and vegetation is is really critical, at least from like a focal standpoint. Do you notice that more of the deer are inclined in your areas to be more... I, on that edge of the military crest, you know, they, they want the visual advantage in combination with the cover. Or are they more preferential to cover or the combination thereof? What do what you find um,
1: Most of the betting is still in the cover. Like I'd say 80% of the betting that I know of is in the cover versus like the outside edge. But um, like I've talked in the past, these, they're still finding some, some visual advantages, you know, in these bedding areas, they're never bedded somewhere like where there's brush all around them and they can't see five feet in front of them. They still find spots where they can see you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 yards. And actually like so a lot of times if it opens up a little bit inside of the bedding area or you get an opening, they'll actually want a bed where they can see that opening. When it comes to bedding that the visual, is just as important as wind, thermals, you name it. Um, it those deer, in whatever they're doing, um, especially mature bucks, their eyes actually are just as important to them as their nose. So uh, the visual advantage is, plays a part in almost every betting scenario.
0: So, my question to you and This is something I think is important for people to think more about. You've paid attention to how long deer spend time laying in a particular bed. I know you've got some data on that and information. What are you generally seeing? And it's hard to generalize this, right, because it's all circumstantial. But, you know, what's the increment of time you're seeing some deer spend? And and it could be, you know, a specific, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, deer that you're looking at right now. Uh, What's the typical time interval?
1: Um, I would say early season, you're probably not going to find a buck in a bed more than an hour. Uh, I think a lot of it's even less than that, uh, because like I said before, they're, they're really putting the feedback on this time of year and probably till about mid-October. So there's actually less time in the beds early season than what you might find, say, uh, you know, post rut, you know, after even through gun, gun season, or even right after, um, then it seems like they'll stay in a bed a lot longer. Especially there's there's minimal food that time of year. Um, also, you you know you have to keep in mind there might be some hunting pressure, so they're also a little more less likely to move around. But you know, since I thought we were focusing a little bit more on early season, I honestly I, I really, from my experience and putting some cameras on beds and and that that type of uh, tactic. Um, They're they're not in these beds very long this time of year, but there's a lot of movement within that bedroom. But we're not talking like some of these bedding areas might only be an acre or two, so it's it's very confined into a small area most of the time.
0: Yeah, I think that's important for people to recognize early season that the the volume of movement, and we've talked you and I talked about this on a prior podcast the volume of movement is certainly an indicator of, of nutritional status so if the deer yep. in their particular area have good volume of food and it's you know it's presumed that it's it's got it's very nutrient rich right the yep. the volume of movement necessarily may be minimized so it's pertinent to your circumstance so in steve's area you may see more movement as a res, direct result of the quality of food and yeah if you can co-locate it meaning like the example earlier where there's briars per se or some other type of food source in those area forbs you know the deer may be spending a lot more time in that specific area getting up laying back down 15 minutes later chewing their cud I mean you know their cycle of digestion is, is going to be pertinent to the quality of food in that particular area um, low quality food stemmy food takes a long a lot longer to digest you'll see them sit to Steve's point later in the season you'll see them sit and, and you know process that ruminant at a, at a slower rate because it takes a longer time to digest so that's, that's, a, that's a foundation of why the deer are doing what they're doing uh, in those particular later season, you know, uh, habits. So, okay, let's, um, let's go. I'm going to take you down the road here. I want to <laughs> yeah. talk about a deer that you want to kill this year. And I, yep. I, I, we've talked earlier in the season about, you know, some, you and I offline, about some specifics. But I want to talk about a deer that you want to kill in your plan of action right now.
1: Yep. Um, and, and I, I know maybe I'm one of the podcasts. Uh, I, I mentioned a particular deer that I had not had, uh, photos of, and I really thought that that deer made it. And I think in between, uh, the last time I talked to you, I'm almost positive that deer got shot. So my, uh, going into this, this later this summer, when I found that, uh, you know, found out that news, it kind of threw, some of my game plan off, but I have three or four deer, um, that, that, you know, that I plan to pursue. Um, but one thing too, uh, I want to bring up and especially, you know, in the, in this type of situation that I'm in, I don't always hunt or totally focus on like the biggest deer that I know of. Like I, I believe you should hunt a deer that, that, that you're confident in killing. Not saying that you can't kill, you know, maybe you just randomly get a picture of, of an absolute giant and, you know, you you go into that area and, you know, hunt it and kill it. But I like to hunt deer that I have history with, that I've got a lot of valuable information of, and that I develop, you know, a great amount of confidence in killing. And often, like I said, that's not always the biggest deer that I have on camera or know of, but, uh, yeah, I got three or four deer this year, um anywhere from, you know, probably 140 to mid one fifties that, uh, you know, that I'm confident to eventually get an opportunity on. Um, and, uh, I think that's going to be my focus. I I really don't know. I really don't have one particular deer this year that, you know, that I'm going after, but I think in the early season, I got two or three that I know where they're bedded. Um, I'm going to slip in there this, this coming week, probably Monday or Tuesday. Just do a quick camera check through these areas and try to see if I can pick up some kind of pattern or just some good information you know, through those camera checks and see if I can slip in on something early.
0: So with that data and information you plan on picking up this week just before season, what do you yep. think your plan of action is going to be for any one of those two, three bucks that you're going to go after? Are you going to go, yep. uh, Well, I like to say, you're going to go right for his throw or are you going to back back down, catch him in transition? What's your plan, you think? Yep.
1: Um, looking at the weather, I'm probably going to have to get more aggressive. Um, I, think, I think all these spots or these deer or these deer bedding, the, the, they're pretty big bedding areas. And, and the actual beds, um, that, that's really important to know where, exactly where some of these deer are laying. They're pretty well spread out. So if it stays warm like it looks like it's going to be, um, I'm going to probably slip right in the bedroom versus, you know, if we had like a cold front, I might hunt more of the fringes, but it just doesn't seem like, like I said, these deer like to leave these bedding areas until after dark. And, and honestly, most of these bucks, uh, there's, it's full of food inside these bedrooms that they really don't have to come out. It's not like they, uh, you know, are bedded somewhere, but then they got to come into the food plot, you know, right at dark. Like they don't have that food plot. Really the food plot is in the bedroom. So, uh, there's there's no reason for him to leave so i'm going to get aggressive try to get in between a couple beds uh play the wind right uh be extremely careful on my access don't make noise um i've even planned you know uh throughout the post season scouting like i try to try to go into these spots in just a straight line learn how to get in there as far as you know literally a couple of these i almost have like trails like limbs snipped off trees just just being extremely careful in those bedrooms because the slightest bit of noise you know anything that can tip that buck off that makes him you know even think not even so much a human but anything that doesn't seem right is going to alert him and uh, he's not going to come your direction so you got to be real careful but I'm definitely it's looking like I'm going to be getting right in the bedroom.
0: So I'm, I'm going to throw out a strategy, and this is a strategy that, that, that has worked for me. Um, I'll go in and I'll hunt a bedroom early season in the morning. Everyone thinks that mm-hmm. you know I can't hunt mornings. Oh, Steve, are you hunting this deer in the morning
1: or in the afternoon? Most of the time, the afternoon. But uh, I have a particular deer that um, last year I put a camera in his bedroom, and uh, it's just this this one particular bed. Uh, and I can't say that he's doing it this time of year for sure because I haven't, I haven't even went in there to check this camera because I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess anything up. But uh, you get this, this deer kind of showed a pattern. Like anywhere from like an hour or two after it got daylight, he was using this one particular bed, and I, and it made me think. I was like, you know what? He's never, he's never there uh, before. You know, because some of these deer or a lot of mature bucks actually go in the bedroom before it even gets daylight. But this buck and this was really consistently bedding in this one, in this one spot, uh, you know, well after day, you know, sunrise. So I'm thinking, man, that would be a, that would possibly be a good morning stand uh, if he's doing that in the early season. So I think I'm going to hunt that deer a little bit in the mornings right in his bedroom but I prefer to hunt bedding areas in the evening because I like to know that those bucks are you know are settled in. Versus if you know if you go in there in the dark, you can easily bump a buck uh, as he's going to bed. Um, it's just a lot harder to to be stealthy and not alert a buck you know in the dark versus wait until the afternoon and you know finding your way in that way. So most of the time. I'm a, I'm doing evening sits in these bedding areas, but occasionally if if everything lines up right, I'll go in early in the morning.
0: Hmm. So uh, what I was getting at, at least with my area, is I always hope for southeast winds early on. That, that brings a change in conditions, and they usually reorientate themselves. And their conditional mm-hmm. movement of bedding in certain areas at certain times changes a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm paying attention to, um, you know, basically weather conditions specifically and change in wind for a uh, wind orientation bedding so what i was going to say is i will get right in a bedding area transition into a bedding area or on the edge of a bedding area a lot of times knowing that i've got a uh, you know i've got a front coming and that front mm-hmm. hopefully is a weather system that's going to clear out Obviously, my my contaminants of me going in an area like that, but I'm generally yep. hunting mobile. So I'm either doing a hanging hunt. In this case, I'll do probably a hanging hunt in all those areas. Set of sticks yep. and, and my hang on stand, or I'll use a climber. Uh, but typically, it's it's a hanging hunt at this point. But I, I I'll be extremely aggressive if I know I can make a move on a deer. The, the problem I have right now is I don't I don't have enough information on on the one deer I want to go after, and I know as time goes on, he, he's going to get easier to kill. Uh, because his his you know his his annual movements in one particular area are enough to know that he's going to probably spend more time daylight wise in an area, and I'm not going to put mm-hmm. pressure on you know one particular deer. Now, if I had options like you have, you know, I may spread spread out you know I guess spread out my interest and be aggressive on one deer that I I think I could kill. Like in your example. And then mm-hmm. play those other deer, you know, based on the data, you know, play off that data a little bit more and be a little more conservative. It's when you just have one particular deer to go after, right. it makes it really difficult. And last week, you know, Rocky and, and uh, Perry were on the line, and, and they were just talking a volume of deer. And, you know, when you have a large volume of deer to go after, you've got more exactly. options. And I think that's really critical for a lot of folks So have more properties and more options all right i I want to get into one other topic before we end this and then we'll talk about you know the future you know what you and i are going to do going forward for the next few podcasts because they're going to be hunting focused so in in these areas where you're going after this particular deer one are you hunting mobile and then two you know what's your stand site location and orientation to these bedding areas how close are you getting that's what i'm interested in
1: yep uh i'm 100 percent mobile like you um I usually I'll have like four or five, six trees picked out ahead of time. And a lot of that is going to be based on the wind. Now in these mountains, I can tell you that like, I don't really look as far as like, okay, weather.com is saying, we got a West wind today. Like the wind is so crazily inconsistent here that uh, a lot of times I'll go in there and it's not till I get into that spot I'll set up based on, you know, what I'm noticing with the wind. Uh, it's like I said, it's just in mountains, the way the wind blows, it's not like flatland. Uh, it's just very unpredictable. Unfortunately, a lot of times also it's swirling in there too. So it's another reason why these mountain bucks, you know, get old and big. But if, if, there's, if there's a lot of beds in a bedding area, I'm willing to gamble and set up on a bed. Uh, just for the fact that, or if it's a big bedding area, because I kind of like that knowing that maybe eventually that buck's going to come to that exact bed because basically all he's doing is from one bed to the next, he's just feeding to and from. So if you can set up over a bed, uh, I think it's a great tactic, but smaller bedding areas, uh, more confined if those beds are really clustered tight, you know, you really can't afford it. So it's it's all based on the size of the bedding area and how it lays out. In my opinion, um, one thing I also do want to bring up about hunting bedding areas that I do a lot because um, I this year is probably the first year um, I'm really hunting inside the bedroom because most of the time I've always been a clear cut bedding hunter. Um, and the thing about clear cuts is they're so thick and nasty that, you know, these cuts that I'm hunting that you cannot get in there without making noise. But I'm, I'm not really hunting clear cuts this year. I'm hunting a little more open stuff. It's more like a high stem count. You know, I got upper canopy above me, so I, I'm not making as much noise and I'm not going through like some of like these jungles that clear cuts are in. But back when, uh, you know, when I was hunting clear cuts more and even areas similar to what I'm hunting – I want, I want to keep in mind or want hunters to understand that I don't believe a lot of these bucks when they do leave their bedding areas, we're talking more like evening hunts. I don't believe like it, it, a lot of times it's a bed to feed pattern. If there's good food in the bedroom, um, I don't think they're coming out of here hungry. And my point is, I really think you're best off hunting like a rub line or a real good active scrape, like, you know, on the edge of bedding. I think, you know, when these bucks are all alone for a long period of time throughout the day, I think that's one of the main things they're looking for when they come out of their bedroom is who's been around um, and they want to go, you know, throw some more sign down. They might check out a signpost rub, but I really think uh, it's really important to look for that hot sign, and especially those active scrapes on the edge of bedding um, versus thinking it's a bed to feed pattern because that's something I've had a lot of success doing and I still hunt that way a lot. Like I love to hunt scrapes, especially on the edge of bedding. Um, just something I wanted to bring up. I, I really think it's a, a highly uh, successful tactic, especially you know, you get a cold front or, Any type of weather movement that can push that deer out of that bedroom early, I think that's a dynamite tactic.
0: Well, I love the way you reframe that because I think that changes the perspective of a lot of people. And I'm really on the same page with you in some of these Mm -hmm. big woods areas that's pretty – Understandable at this point because that social aspect, you know, to their normal routine, um, they feel the safety of the evening. Uh, they obviously can see very well in those certain instances. There was a study yep. a few years ago talking specifically about you know open canopy or areas that are opened up and and how active they are or more active they are in those areas because of the the visual advantage they get uh, because yep. of the available sunlight. And then focusing on the social aspect of their movement and you know like you said, putting down sign, yeah, you know, I think that's critical to their, their evening movement patterns. You didn't exactly. answer my question though. It sounds like you're right on top of their, of their beds in some instances, right? Is that, is that what you're trying to get at? Like you're right in the mix now.
1: Yes. The, and that's what I mean. And this is, this is a little more, uh, of, of a newer approach this year. Um, but because, like I said, because I, the, that I, number one is I know I literally know where all the beds are in these bedding areas. Ninety percent of the time, a buck isn't just laying, just laying down randomly. He's got specific spots. That's how why we call them buck beds that he's laying in. So I know where the buck beds are at, and and now that I know that I can slip into some of these areas most likely undetected your best chance still is going to be to get in the bedroom if you can, because the problem is, is, you know, cause this is basically based off of, you know, running cameras on the outskirts of bedding. And even within like telling you a lot of these bucks do not leave the bedroom until after dark. And uh, literally a lot of times it's just, you'll get them on camera 15 minutes after dark. So, you know, they're right on the fringes of coming out, but if you can get in that cover and get set up and, do it without uh, without getting caught. I, and, and just one more point to that is I'm really only looking at about a two-week bedding pattern here. Um, once we get to mid-late October, these bedding areas really aren't getting used much. The, the Our bucks seem to tend to shift and bed closer to does then. So even if I burn one of these spots up, it's not likely I was going to hunt there in the rut anyways. So why not get aggressive and really – work hard and, you know, for an opportunity, knowing, okay, I burn it out. It was only going to last another week or two and be over with. So it's not, it's not a long-term pattern.
0: And I like your aggression. I like your evolution and how you're approaching some of this stuff, because it shows that you're willing to push the limits. And I would, I would caution people uh, if you have a property that's well set up and their movements are very cyclical or behaviorally they're easy to understand. Um, when you get clusters of large deer, that creates a disruption of pattern and movements. So people mm-hmm. that have high deer populations, you're going to experience you know delayed movements of mature deer. You're going to experience a lot of different things that you know that Steve's talking about but he's talking about because of the areas they're hunting that they're, they're somewhat concentrated and and they know mm-hmm. pressure's around too um, and the volume of hunting pressure obviously you know will impact them but the aggression and yeah. the tactics that you have going into this and a lot of these you know ideas are a bit hypocritical when you start to think about you know i don't know you know volume of pressure you know being aggressive but you know trying to Trying to weigh out the factors of you know allowing yourself to find some level of success in this stuff and and I think yep. all of us struggle with trying to fi- figure out the balance in that and and we'll lead to the next part of this. So you and I for the next uh bunch of podcasts here we're going to talk about hunting tactics and we're going to get some of the best guys in the country that do this. You know, Steve, you're in that you're in that bracket. You're one of the top guys in the country that do <laughs> well, this. Thanks. So uh, you know we we're lucky to have you on this podcast, but we're going to get other guys you. like you that are going to kind of you know, to explore their process. And they're going to be specific to their area and how they break down, you know, time of year. So it'll be specific for that time of year and, and their tactics. And I think the more tactics and strategy that we have, that will lead into, you know, a lot of things that may relate to habitat or may relate to, you know, something you didn't know about deer per se uh, and, and their particular landscapes that they key in on. And, uh, you know, frequency of, of, uh, example would be maybe frequency of putting down sign at certain intervals and how people focus on that, like to your point earlier. And I think, I think we're going to get a lot out out of that discussion. So through this period of, we'll call it hunting tactics season, you know, we're hopefully it's going to propel you, you know, during that specific event and it'll give you, you know, a better, a a better strategy going, going into your hunting season. And that's, that's kind of the plan here, uh, for the next several weeks. So.
1: Yep. And uh, make sure our listeners know that we're going to spread this out throughout the country. It's not going to be like just guys from the Northeast. Uh, we're going to try to, uh, you know, help you out, whether you're a Midwest or a you know, Southerner. I, I think it's really important to uh, for us to be versatile and uh, spread this out to where, uh, you know, listeners from all over are going to be able to take at least from one of these next three or four podcasts
0: yeah so i'm excited it's going to be good steve's actually going to lead this is his uh this is his opportunity to lead one of these podcasts so this this will be his his practice session for his future maybe maybe not we'll see what happens but he's gonna he's gonna do well i'm excited for that because i get to step back a little bit and just listen um, <laughs> thank
1: you yeah looking forward to it
0: yeah i'm t- i am too anything else you want to end with here i think this is good intel this is this is getting people uh, you know excited i'm excited
1: yeah, uh, just one last thing, because I also believe a lot of your listeners are, you know, more private land hunters, land management. Um, not everything I say is going to be the same, uh, you know, unfortunately. You, you know, how I said being aggressive, like in those betting areas. Number one is I got hundreds of thousands of acres to hunt. So I can be more aggressive. I can burn a spot out and then move on to another Um you're someone like, and I know you touched on this, but I I just want to make sure that people know that I understand where they're coming from. When you have limited options, uh, smaller chunks of land, less area to hunt, I once again don't be quite as aggressive then, and try to base your hunts more on uh, maybe when it's best because you might only get uh, you know four or five good hunts in a in a, in a smaller tract of land because eventually those deer are going to, you know, catch on to what you're doing. But, you know, since I just have so much land around me, several deer to hunt, you know, I'm able to be more aggressive. So in in every situation, uh, you know, you just got to understand that not every strategy and uh, really every area throughout the country, every... Every place is going to be a little bit different, and I just want people to understand that.
0: No, that's good because everyone is in a different circumstance. But there was a lot to take from this podcast today, specifically when we talked about bedding areas and kind of how to create those and thinking about having more beds in the bedding areas for that matter. Because the big bucks, like we were talking about earlier, they want to stick in those areas. By the way, and most of the clients that I work with, private land, that's a big part of the design process is thinking about sure. how they're going to reside in those areas and what food is available for them in those areas so i think there's yep. points to be taken this from this in the land management side of things that are really critical so i uh right. I, I commend you for that information so all right man let's uh let's move out we're going to talk in a week we're going to get a, a new guest on and we're going to kind of figure out you know uh what tactics are going to work in in, in their areas so i think it's going to be very entertaining
1: All right, bud. Sounds good. Remember, I I don't have cell reception at camp, so I won't be able to get that uh, final text from you, but uh, thanks a lot for having me, and uh, I'll I'll get in touch with these next few guests, and I'll definitely get right back to you.
0: All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Uh, All right. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of
1: Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.